Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside Dilu as we look back at K-State's 27-24 loss uh, to the Texas Longhorns last Saturday uh, on the 40 Acres. It was a game that K-State got out to a great start, uh, 14-0 on the on the Longhorns before uh, going into halftime up by a touchdown, 14-7, uh, where Texas then uh, reeled off um, uh, 17 unanswered points, and K-State's uh, comeback at the end just wasn't enough as a uh, Cameron Dicker uh, field goal uh, from, I believe, 26 yards out. Uh, yes, 26 yards out indeed. Uh, wins it for Texas as time expires. Uh, so the Wildcats uh, drop uh, from 16 in uh, the country to number 24 in the latest college football rankings. Uh, college football playoff rankings, I should I should say. They dropped out of both the AP and coaches poll. But uh, still a lot to play for. Uh, dropped to 6-3, and 3-3 three, three and three in Big 12 play. Uh, but have three very winnable games. Three games that they could very well be favored in uh, from here on out uh, to close out uh, what is really no doubt a success, uh, successful first season so far for Chris Kleiman. So uh, disappointing loss to Texas, but uh, I want to bring Lou in here. Uh, now, Dilu, um, it's a game that you feel like K State had had their opportunities to win in. Uh, offense was kind of stagnant there in the second half, and and that's ultimately what uh, led to the Wildcats' demise on Saturday. Yeah, and I think that uh, in the first half, the offense was really clicking, uh, notwithstanding K State's inability to really find much room in the ground game early on. I think that was the story of the day for K State's offense. Um, K State being forced to to work in a way that isn't their uh, primary, uh, what they would like to do. Um, Skylar Thompson had a big day through the air, 17 of 27, 253 yards, a career day for him. But on the ground, uh, going up against, you know, a, a healthy Texas defense and a Texas defense that uh, – Pretty pretty stout, uh, at least in the front seven. Uh, K-State only able to reel off 51 yards of rushing on the day on 26 carries. And when K-State's uh, in a position where they, they can't run the football, that the offense uh, is just going to look like a struggle at times. And that's what we saw on Saturday. Yeah, it certainly did. And, you know, with what K-State has had some success with uh, recently in the, in the running game, is with uh, the quarterback, Skylar Thompson, uh, not effective at all, really, on the ground. I know that they made mention earlier in the week that they kind of want to limit uh, his carries uh, going forward just because, you know, he, he's had to run the ball probably more in the last couple of weeks than he had all season up to that point. I know he had, what, I think he had 17 carries against KU or or something along those lines where he um, where he was really toting the ball quite a bit. Um Seven carries for no no yards, of course. Uh, you know, sack yardage goes in there as well, so that uh, that adds in there too. But K State really didn't have much luck on the ground uh, at all, as you mentioned. Only fifty one yards uh, on the ground, which if you would have told me uh, K State runs the ball for fifty one yards against Texas on Saturday, I would say we got absolutely blown out. Uh, we probably lost by four touchdowns, uh, but. Big plays of the passing game, and then of course, uh, you know the big kick return by Josh Youngblood. Uh, you know, let K State stay in this game up until the wh- the final whistle, and uh, you know, let's I guess let's talk a little bit about the the run game first. I mean, 
we, we mentioned it just wasn't effective. Longest run for K-State on the day was only 17 yards on a nice little counter play by Harry Trotter. What Did you think it was something more in terms of what anything that Texas was doing schematically, or was it really just as simple as, you know, Texas has enough horses up front in their front seven to, to really limit K-State? Well, I think it's both of those things. I mean, obviously, K-State's struggled uh, going up against three-man fronts, uh, odd-man fronts this year for the most part, uh, with the lone exception uh, uh, being KU, where K-State had a, a lot of success against KU's three-man front, but they just were able to outclass the Jayhawks uh, last week in that game. But going up against uh, the three-man front against Texas, for whatever reason, uh, like the Baylor game, like the Oklahoma State game, K-State's offensive line, just not able to fend off and create very many creases for K-State's running backs. And, you know, not for nothing, but you have to remember that K-State's top two running backs uh, were certainly limited in carries. James Gilbert, of course, uh, carried the ball zero times. Uh, Jordan Brown, uh, who got nicked up in the game, uh, still doesn't appear to be 100%. Um, seven carries for four yards for the North Carolina transfer, Jordan Brown. Um, and so K-State's operating with a little bit of a uh, handicap there. And then, like you mentioned, Texas is just... They have athletes in the front seven. Um, and K-State's offensive line, not in a position where they can just maul, um, you know, a talented athletic defensive front that Texas presents. And so schematically, uh, K-State had to rely on just scheme and try to out-scheme the Longhorns, but they weren't able to do that on the ground on Saturday. K-State was – I was impressed in the first half the success that K-State's offense had. Um you know, with without the running game, running on all cylinders, uh, you would see K-State try to get the ball out to the edge, a lot of quick screens, and looking to take advantage of some of the periphery of the Texas defense. Uh, but credit to uh, Todd Orlando, able to make those adjustments during halftime and uh, figure out a way to bottle up Skylar Thompson's passing game and also keep K-State's running game at bay. Yeah, you know, I thought Ness did a good job. There was one drive in particular that stuck out to me uh, where K-State, I think they ran three or four straight, uh, you know, wide receiver screens out to the wide side and and had a lot of success doing that. And, uh, you know, that shows that the, the versatility, I guess you'd say, of the play calling. We weren't having much uh, luck in between the tackles. Getting the ball out wide, uh, w- w- that was a creative way to go about that. I thought that was a good job uh, there. Um, but let's kind of transition here to the second half, uh, where K-State uh, kind of gets, gets bombarded right away uh, after the break, where Texas goes down and uh, scores a touchdown on their first drive and then uh, forces K-State to go three and out, and then goes right back down there and scores another field goal uh, to take a 17-14 lead. At that point, K-State just wasn't really able to get much going offensively. Their uh, first three uh, possessions of the second half all resulted in punts. Then, of course, after a Texas touchdown uh, off of uh, of a short field, 
gets K State a big play in the special teams game uh, with a um, with a uh, Josh Youngblood return uh, to the house. You got to see some of that speed uh, that uh, that K State fans know that he has, and you got to see that on full display there. Uh, at that point, K State down 24-21 with um, with about 12 minutes left to go. In the ball game, how are you feeling about where K State was situationally at that point? Well, you know, it's you know that entire second half. It was so uh, it felt like deja vu because the comparisons were so uh, easy to make to the Mississippi State game. Exactly. Um, you know, exactly. K State gets out to a hot start, then the offense goes MIA and kind of lets the opponent back in the game. And then you have a big special teams play, and if the script followed Mississippi State. K-State comes and puts together a big drive offensively, goes down there and scores a touchdown. K-State, unfortunately, uh, the defense did its job after the Josh Youngblood um, kick return, held Texas to a three and out, and you're thinking, all right, this is where this team goes out there and puts together a long touchdown drive. Uh, And K-State, you know that they put together really their only good drive of the second half, the offense, uh, where they were able to get down to the Texas 27-yard line where the drive stalled. Blake Lynch was able to put in a 45-yard field goal, and it was up to the defense to do it one last time. Um, and, you know, they had 6.45 left in the game at that point, but Texas able to just bleed K-State dry, especially on the ground, um, and uh, put together a six-and-a-half-minute scoring drive to uh, close out the game and give a chip-shot field goal to win. Yeah, and, you know, I know K-State fans and, and of course, the defense in particular will be really kind of uh, kicking themselves this week. Of course, they had Case, or they had Texas first and 20, and then uh, after, a, after a holding call, and then a third and fourteen uh, at about at about midfield, Texas is able to pick that up, and at that point, you really kind of could see where this was heading a little bit in terms of just where the time was and with the timeout situation. Yeah, after they picked up that first down on that long third down conversion, Texas has the ball with a th- little north of three minutes left at K State's thirty four yard line, and at that point. I mean, you know that Texas's kicker uh, has the leg to has the leg it. to make it from right there, mm-hmm. and so you're you're starting to figure it out that okay, this is going to come down to a field goal at best. Texas is going to get a field goal opportunity here, um, and you're just hoping to keep it as far out as it can get. But uh, as I mentioned, Texas is uh, able to just pretty much do what they wanted to on the ground there in the second half and uh, able to really control the clock and uh, go from there. Now, on that third down conversion play, I saw quite a bit of criticism levied against Scott Hazleton for his decision to bring a pretty aggressive blitz on that third down. Um, You know, in that situation, third and 14 with where it's time to make a play, Credit to Sam Ellinger, just because I I can't be too critical of, of Hazelton for bringing a blitz under that circumstance because you know it's it's either you let Ellinger hang out in the pocket all day because K State wasn't really getting great pressure without getting a blitz and so it's either you let 
Ellinger sit in the pocket and throw and just find a spot for his big, talented wide receivers, or you roll the dice a little bit and put pressure on him and risk giving up a quick pass play to a talented quarterback. And so I, I'm not too critical of that decision to be aggressive in that situation. Um, what do you, in that scenario, what do you think the call is? Do you, you sit back and, you know, play very soft, almost mini prevent, or are you pinning your ears back and trying to get aggressive? I would have probably did. I would have probably brought five uh, on there, and I, I'd have to look back at that play again on how many they brought, but I, I would have probably played a little bit of. Uh, Brought me a little bit of zone blitz, uh, bring a little bit of pressure, but not necessarily leave our guys, um, you know, in a straight up man position there necessarily. But I also, I'm not going to kill Scotty Hazelton for it. Uh, thought, you know, he's done a great job this season, and really, all things in consideration, did a pretty good job uh, against Texas on, on Saturday. So let's, uh, I guess, let's transition here. I want to go back to the offense, if, if that's okay with you, sure. Lou. Want to talk about the wide receivers? Um, I think one of the highlights of the season, and certainly one of the highlights of the game for K State, was uh, the Malik Knowles seventy-yard uh, touchdown uh, catch and run. Uh, really, a couple of nice things about this play from my standpoint. Really nice design on the play, first and foremost. They motioned him into the backfield uh, with, uh, I believe it was Trotter back there with him. Yeah, they they had two two guys, uh, Knowles to uh, Thompson's left and uh, Trotter to the right, and it was essentially just a they, – they motion, they motion um, Knowles from the top side of the screen uh, into the backfield and then just run him on a simple like little wheel route, yeah. and he is completely unaccounted for. Um, and he has one guy, uh, the, the, uh, the safety, or I believe it was the safety coming over, uh, that was playing center field about uh, 20 yards downfield at that point, uh, or 10, 15, 20 yards downfield at that point, uh, with one guy to miss, and uh, Knowles uh, absolutely jukes him out of his shoes and, and could coast all the way for 70 yards for a touchdown there. At that point, it felt it was hard not to think that, you know, this K-State offense is, is going to have some success in the passing because that was where Texas was. Most vulnerable uh, was in the past. I know they showed the graphic up there. I think they were 120, 127th, 128th out of all teams in, in pass yards per game given up in the country, which is kind of remarkable for well, a Carter place. Stanley threw for four hundred against. Them. Kind of remarkable for a for a place that calls themselves a DBU uh, in that regard. But when you look at what um, when you look at what this Texas. Defense, I guess the one thing too. Going back, I mean, I'm kind of jumping around here, but when you when you look at this K State offense and not having the success on the ground, they they stuck with the ground game throughout, which you have to stick with your identity. I feel like, but would you like to maybe see them get off the running game a little bit earlier than than what uh, than what they did on Saturday? Well. In hindsight, absolutely, because the running game didn't work, and I mean our, our success. It was, well, rate, it was pretty. It was pretty obvious that the run game wasn't working. Yeah, really from the get-go. I I understand. I mean, it's hard to be critical of it, just because it's not like K State 
ran the ball all that much. I mean, K-State only ran the ball 26 times through 27 passes. Um, I mean, K-State's leading carrier was Tyler Burns with eight carries on the day. So it's not as if in that running total includes three sacks taken by Skylar Thompson, too. So really only 23 um, carries on the day. So it's I don't think it's as if K-State was trying to fit a square peg into a round hole or anything like that. I just think that, no, so I don't, I don't, I think they did a fine job in gauging what was working. I think, you know, in hindsight, did K-State have more success through the air? Yeah, but sure. but midway through the third quarter, you, you don't know whether or not you're wearing on them or anything like that, and that's really just what K-State's identity's been. Um, so, no, I, I'm not... I don't blame Essingham for sticking with the run to some degree. I mean, this is probably one of the biggest uh, pass-run discrepancies we saw this year where the, we passed significantly more than mm-hmm. we ran. Um, Oklahoma State, maybe we passed it good amount too but regardless in toss and Baylor but regardless when the game is still close which it was for most of the game on Saturday well mm-hmm. it only oh, ever yeah. got to 10, 10 points, points yeah. um, and then an immediate kickoff return yeah. so it's not like K-State was having to really play catch up um, so no I don't I don't criticize Messingham for for sticking with the run and tossing in a few runs in there. Um, let's go to the defense now. Um, no AJ Parker uh, after his injury that he suffered against um, against KU. Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay uh, both with 110 yards receiving. Defense I thought played pretty well uh, for the most part. Uh, of course, Ellinger. You know the guy's a, a ball player. You know he can. He's a baller. He is. He's a baller. I mean, he's not exactly having maybe the year that he had last year, or maybe the year that he anticipated, where others anticipate him coming in having this year. But still, a very good quarterback, efficient. Of course, had the uh, the turnover down there near the red zone uh, for Texas uh, that took some points off the potential points off the board for him there, but. Uh, all things considered, thought the defense uh, made some good plays while they had, while, when they when they had to. Uh, of course, didn't make the plays on that final drive, which ultimately cost them. But I guess my my question I want to ask you here, D. Lou, is uh, when you look at the AJ Parker absence, how much did you see that kind of come into effect in terms of really hampering K State on Saturday? Well, I think it. I think it's significant. I mean, I he's our best cover secondary guy. And when you have two Texas wide receivers going for 100-plus yards, then I think it's easy to say, man, I wish K-State had a better cover Absolutely. guy on Saturday. No question. Um, that's not to take away anything from the uh, K-State defenders who were called up or anything, but A.J. Parker is our best guy in the secondary. And when you lose your best cover guy in the secondary, you're going to, especially against a talented quarterback and receivers like Texas has, then I think it's it's a significant uh, it's absence. Yeah, no question about that. And 
doesn't sound like AJ Parker will be back anytime soon. I would maybe anticipate him being available for a bowl game, but I think that would be it. I don't think he's going to be back for uh, any of the regular season games uh, that K State has remaining here throughout the next three weeks. Um, of course, you know, wish him the best in terms of uh, of a speedy recovery, but. Uh, you know, from all indications, it looks like his uh, 2019 season may very well, in fact, be over. So let's go ahead and, and uh, wrap this one up uh, here for the uh, the Texas review. Uh, Dilu, some something, some things were made of uh, kind of how Climate handled the end of the uh, end of the ball game in terms of timeout situation, clock management. I didn't have too big of an issue with it. Uh, what what did you see in that regard? Well, it was the run move. I mean, I it's um there are a couple points here. The first is that yeah, you could have let Texas just score a touchdown. You very rarely see that though. You do. But I mean, and there, there was one well, there was one team that did that recently. I can't remember if it was NFL or uh, in college that just absolutely let the, let the other team score. And uh, oh gosh, I can't go ahead. Continue though. Sorry, I'm 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 getting you off track here. Well, and there was also the uh, the penalty that uh, oh I remember the game. K State accepted with 39 seconds left after they went ahead and uh, they got called for an illegal formation penalty. Texas did. Uh, K State opted to accept that penalty rather than uh, decline it. Which led to more seconds being taken off the clock, uh, allowed Texas to bleed really the rest of the clock out to set up a field goal as time expired. Mm, I think yeah. that was a mistake too. But like, but like you, you can't kill a guy for doing what you you see almost all the time. I think it's just, I mean, conventional wisdom that head coaches at the end of football games are going to do everything they can to prevent a game-winning score. And even if, you know, from a game theory perspective, it makes more sense for the defense to allow a score earlier because it's uh, the score at that point is almost a foregone conclusion that Texas is going to get points in some respect here, so you just wanted to get them as fast as possible. But, you know, that's just how... Most football coaches operate. And so be critical if you want. I I agree with the people who say, you know, it would have been smarter for K-State to surrender, you know, the go-ahead score with under a minute left um, and, and give the offense at least a chance. But it's when you watch enough football, it's not a surprising move that the coaches don't do that. I believe I remember the game now. It was that Lions-Packers game on, on Monday Night Football a couple of weeks back where uh, Matt Patricia, the Lions coach, offers a, a touchdown uh, to uh, to Green Bay. And they didn't... And the running back alertly hops down at the one-yard line and uh, keeps the clock rolling. So, yeah, and Texas... So it, it takes Texas, two to tango. Well, and Texas clearly was aware that K-State might be doing that. I, sure. I don't think Keontae Ingram was going to get into that end zone, and I think he was instructed not to. So unless K-State was going to carry, yeah. <laughs> carry him into the end zone, it was uh, not going to be tough. 
But that accepting that penalty was a bit of a head scratcher there with under a minute left to give uh, Texas another uh, play to burn time. Yeah. But um, whatever. I mean, it's it's just one of those frustrating things that uh, football coaches don't do yet, and maybe they will someday. But it's not. It's certainly not ubiquitous, and so it's. I'm not going to be too critical of uh, Coach Kleiman uh, and his decision to. Um, not concede the game, the go-ahead score. Well, um, no doubt a disappointing loss for K-State, uh, a game that, you know, they were right there all throughout. But, uh, you know, with it, we as we documented, it was, it was going to be a tough matchup for K-State uh, in terms of what Texas has athletically. Uh, and K-State acquitted themselves well. Uh, I mean, if you ask the coaches, they probably think that this was one that maybe got away from them. But uh, that uh, closes the door on really any uh, chance that K-State has of getting to the Big 12 title game. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of close the door on that, I guess, so to speak. But you know what? It's now the, uh, you know, we're almost halfway through November. Yeah. And only now are we saying that K-State's not going to go to the Big 12 championship game. And, yeah, you know, it's, sure. it's not even as though K-State's mathematically eliminated yet. It's just that now it's exceedingly unlikely that it yeah. happens. And this is the first time in quite a while that we've gotten this far into the season uh, and been able to uh, only now say that. So credit to Coach Kleiman, credit to the team. Um, certainly a good season um, up to now, notwithstanding that Texas loss. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, Certainly, a lot, uh, lot to play for here in these three final winnable three. games left uh, on the schedule. Well, uh, let's uh, let's close the book here on uh, Texas and let's look ahead uh, to Saturday's game against West Virginia. Uh, the Mountaineers uh, struggling here in uh, Big Twelve play. Won their first game uh, of conference play against KU and have proceeded to lose um, five straight. Uh, including last Saturday at home against Texas Tech, thirty-eight to seventeen. This is a team, really, quite frankly, that's struggling, uh, as as their record indicates. And um, quite frankly, it's a far cry from some of those West Virginia teams that maybe K State fans are are familiar with in terms of a high flying, explosive offense. This is one of they, they've really been struggling offensively here for the last month or so. Uh, in, in their last four games, uh, they've scored under 17 points. And they play a K-State defense that's been pretty darn good uh, all season. One of the best teams in the country, uh, especially on third down, uh, as well uh, as we've documented. But uh, a team that uh, does have some fight left in them, too. Of course, uh, on Thursday night, uh, a couple weeks back, uh, played Baylor extremely close, and, and Baylor uh, continues to find ways to win those close games, but a 17-14 uh, loss on the road uh, in Waco shows that this team is, is continuing to fight, and uh, I think K-State, if, uh, uh, if the Mountaineers don't have their full attention on Saturday, uh, could be a tough one for them. Uh, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and hop in here to West Virginia uh, Dila, what do you kind of uh, expect to see in this one? Well, it's Neil Brown, um, so you're gonna yeah, see. Yeah, so this is kind of yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about Neil Brown first. Well, he's a guy that's gonna try to air it out 
a lot, um, even more so than uh, Holgerson. Um, and, you know, we saw that. You could see that in the game last Saturday where they played Texas Tech. I mean, I actually watched a lot of that game. Um, and right now, West Virginia just doesn't have the uh, personnel in place to be able to run that, uh, you know, air it out offense that Neil Brown wants to do. Uh, West Virginia threw the ball 61 times on Saturday, rushed it only 18 times, put up uh, about 500 yards of passing, um, but still were only man able to manage 17 points, which is kind of astonishing. Uh, on the ground, uh, West Virginia ran the ball 18 times for 51 yards, um, so not much to be said there. But, yeah, West Virginia's going to try to use all 53 yards uh, sideline to sideline to uh, spread teams out, and they're going to try to throw it around the, throw it around the yard. But uh, this season, and especially in the last month or so, like you mentioned, West Virginia, not a lot of uh, efficiency um, in their passing game, even though uh, they will gobble up quite a few yards at times. Well, and uh, the West, the Mountaineers have a little bit of a uh, quarterback uh, controversy, so to speak, on their hand hands uh, against Texas Tech. Uh, once the game was pretty well over uh, in the fourth quarter, they inserted uh, Jarrett Daggy into uh, into action um, for uh, Austin Kendall, who he had replaced, and uh, neither of which had a, had much of much success really going. Uh, in that game, uh, Daggy did lead a, a late touchdown drive uh, with the game kind of well in hand there for the Red Raiders. But when you look at what uh, they do in terms of, yes, spreading the ball out uh, offensively, one thing that when I think when most uh, K-State fans think of these West Virginia teams since they've joined the Big 12 is they always have explosive wide receivers. And they still do have some explosive wide receivers, however, uh, it is a far cry from some of uh, the wide receiver crews that we remember from West Virginia. Of course, David Sills and uh, the the gang last year, and then uh, Tavon Austin, Seven Bailey with the Geno Smith uh, era there at West Virginia. They don't quite have. But um, when you look at this uh, West Virginia wide receiver group, it's a group that's been plagued by uh, drop passes. Uh, I remember them highlighting that in the game against uh, Baylor that I was able to watch. That, uh, that That's really what they feel is they, they like the group, they like the talent of the wide receiver crew, but they're a young group, and the consistency in terms of just uh, being able to catch the ball just quite hasn't been there. So that's something to, uh, to watch out for as well on Saturday. But uh, it's a West Virginia team right now that you have to say is – is definitely struggling, and uh, you have to say, also the old adot or the old adage of um, keeping struggling teams struggling and keeping bad teams struggling uh, is is what you want to do. And uh, I think K State uh, defensively, uh, even though they are a little bit banged up in the secondary, uh, has to feel like they're in pretty good shape with this matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think that West Virginia is. Right now, West Virginia's the worst team in the conference, yeah. I think. I mean, yeah. they, they were able to scrape by uh, uh, 
bad Kansas team on the road, and credit to Neil Brown for getting that Big 12 win. But, um, you know, that was, of course, before KU's offense kind of transformed and started giving um, some teams fits. I mean, they put up almost 50 points at Texas um, a couple weeks later. Granted, got smoked by K-State a few weeks after that. But uh, West Virginia right now, today, is, is the worst team in the conference and I think on a neutral field would lose to KU if I had to put money on that. But, um, so I think that it's just going to take Neil Brown some time to get his personnel in there. Um, but like you said, it's, it's a big 12 opponent that, you know, if K-State takes it lightly, they'll, they'll lose. Um, but it's a game that on paper K-State has, uh, a lot of advantages against. Tribute time, Dilo. Okay. Do you know who West Virginia's defensive coordinator is? Um, let's think back now to when we uh, when we spoke earlier with our West Virginia insider. Uh, it's a name that K State fans uh, may remember. Oh, uh, it's uh, Vic Koning. It is. It's it is uh, the uh, the brother of former. Uh, West Virginia or former uh, KU offensive coordinator uh, Les Kane. Les Kane. Are they brothers or cousins? I believe. Actually, I believe you're right. I believe they are cousins. I'm gonna verify that. But so some familiarity, at least uh, on the coaching staff for 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 some K State fans there. Uh, in terms, I wonder of, how that. I wonder if that gives K State a big advantage in this game. Maybe they are cousins. By the way, good 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 job by you there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is uh, some. There's some familiarity, of course, uh, with um, with Vic Caning uh, being in the Big Twelve, and of course being at K State. Of course, Blake Siler, the uh, linebacker coach at West Virginia. So there's certainly some uh, K State ties there uh, on that coaching staff. Well, not to mention Neil Brown, a guy that was was rumored to be, you know. One of the final choices uh, for yeah, the head so, job. So, um, some interesting subplots. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just one of the cool things about the Big 12 season this year is that uh, all these new, these freshman coaches in the league um, kind of battling it out. So far, K State's 1 and 0 in this battle um, and hoping to go 2 and 0 this week. Uh, Neil Brown facing Matt Wells last week. Uh, got absolutely torched at home against the Red Raiders in what was only about a th- field goal spread, I believe. Yeah, it was it was pretty much a pick 'em. Um, but uh, so kind of a surprising result there if you were watching on Saturday, just seeing Texas Tech absolutely blow the doors off the Mountaineers. Um, a halftime score of 35 to 10, um, and then after that it was garbage time the rest of the way. But uh, so it'll be uh, interesting to see how uh, Chris Kleiman faces off against a guy who some thought would have his job mm-hmm. this time. Uh, well, not this time last year, but not much long after this time last year. Yep, absolutely. Uh, one other name I want to mention uh, is Sam James. Uh, he had a big day against the Red Raiders, a wide receiver, freshman wide receiver out of Richmond Hill, Georgia. 14 receptions uh, for 223 yards. Wow, quite a day for the uh, freshman. So, 
one guy to watch there uh, for sure for uh, West Virginia. Dilu, I think we both see this game uh, pretty similarly as we're going to get into our predictions here. Uh, what say you about how uh, Saturday's uh, 2.30 kickoff on ESPN, K-State opened as, I believe, a 17-point favorite, uh, now down to 14 and a half. Uh, what, uh, what do you see uh, as we look at this matchup uh, with the Mountaineers as they come to Manhattan? Well, this will be a, after last week going up against a pretty talented Texas uh, offense, especially a talented passing offense, um, facing off against Ellinger and uh, guys like Brennan Eggles and um, and some of those really tough matchups. K-State secondary should uh, be eager to face off against West Virginia because this is a passing offense that will try to be, will, they'll throw it all around the yard, but they're just not um, as talented and certainly not as prolific as the Longhorns passing attack last week. So I think the defense is going to have a big bounce back after um, some disappointing drives, especially in the second half last week. Um, on the offensive side of the ball for K-State, you know, West Virginia's run defense isn't really that bad. No, no, and, and I, I was going to get to that here in a little bit. And, you know, against uh, Baylor, West Virginia's defense had eight sacks in that game. Very disruptive. So it's it could be kind of a tricky little matchup uh, for K-State. Now, I don't want to overstate this because the Mountaineers have certainly uh, had their share of uh, bad performances on defense, giving up 52 to Oklahoma, of course, 35 to Texas Tech in the first half alone, um, and then 38 to Iowa State. So this isn't, you know, they're not the 85 Bears out there on defense. I don't want anybody to think that's what I'm saying. But, uh, you know, it's a defense that can do some interesting things and can be disruptive in the backfield. But uh, so long as K-State goes out there in the offense as a B performance um, or better, I think K-State wins this game pretty comfortably. Um, One thing I did want to mention, too, defensively, uh, two, a couple names to watch out for uh, West Virginia-wise. Darius uh, Stills and Dante Stills, uh, brothers. They Are they uh, related to Kenny Stills? Uh, no, actually they are not. I, I did some, did some uh, checking on that. They are not, in fact, related to uh, the former Oklahoma standout, Kenny Stills. All right. But uh, their, their father uh, played at West Virginia. And uh, against Baylor, uh, Darius and Dante... Both lived in the uh, in the Baylor backfield. Uh, both uh, Darius uh, Stills and Dante Stills were back there all game. Dante with two sacks, Darius with three. Another guy uh, that you have to watch out for is uh, Sean Mahone. Uh, Sean uh, is a, a junior junior safety, uh, good ball player uh, for them in the in the back half of that secondary. So a couple guys to watch for. I don't think I got a score prediction from you though. Oh, I think uh, I think K State wins this game, thirty-four to seventeen. Thirty-four seventeen. So they double up the Mountaineers and uh, coast to a relatively easy win uh, on on Saturday. Is how you see it. I think K State really ought to, um, unless you know K State comes out and lays an egg, uh, which is possible, or West Virginia comes out and really doesn't about face. 
of how they've been performing over the last month or so. But um, at least on paper, I think K-State's uh, just the better team. And if K-State can't make easy work of this West Virginia squad, then um, it really makes – I mean, it would really just make you question what the last month or so has been for K-State because – you know, up until last week, and even including last week, K-State was able to go out there and play toe-to-toe or better um, than their opponents, uh, one of whom was, of course, OU, and really do just take care of business against um, uh, certainly Oklahoma and Kansas. So I would expect K-State to come out and uh, have a good performance at home after uh, the tough loss against Texas. I think uh, I, I think K State wins this game as well. Uh, I see it a little bit closer uh, than than you do, uh, but I'm going to take K State twenty eight, West Virginia twenty. Okay, so a little is the game in doubt at the end? Yeah, yeah, the oh. game's in doubt into the, going in the fourth quarter. Uh, I think uh, K State will. You know, I, I'm not saying that we're going to have to you know necessarily hold them. At the goal line uh, to end the game. But maybe a Marcus Watts 2006 Oklahoma oh, no, State no, no, performance. No. I'm not even saying that close. Oh, okay. So I think K-State wins this game. Um, but I, I do think it's going to be a game that K-State has to uh, – I think the Mountaineers should have their attention. Just due to the fact that defensively, I think West Virginia does present some challenges uh, up front if K-State's not going to be – uh, you know, able to run the ball again uh, at, with with much effectiveness as they struggled against Texas. If they have that uh, that same lack of success on the ground, uh, I think West Virginia is going to keep this thing interesting. And I think West Virginia will do enough things to to make K State uncomfortable uh, when it comes to running the football. But I think K State makes enough plays and uh, and ekes out an eight point win. All right. Well, there you have it. So, folks, that'll do it here. Uh, for us, 34-17 says Dilu, 28-20 uh, says myself. Uh, but we both predict K-State to get the win and move to 7-3, uh, de- uh, staring down the final two games of the schedule uh, on the road next week against uh, Texas Tech in Lubbock and at home against Iowa State uh, on senior day. So still a lot to play for. At this point now, K-State is really – uh, looking to move themselves up uh, that bull pecking order, and a win against West Virginia uh, would uh, would go uh, a long way in doing that as well. So uh, that'll do it here for the uh, West Virginia preview and prediction portion of the podcast. Uh, after a short break, we will be back with a Wildcat legend and answering your questions and ask the icon. Join us after the break. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast, where we are now getting into a segment that we call This Week's Wildcat Legend. An icon. This week's Wildcat Legend hails from Skyline High School. And this guy had a legendary performance against the West Virginia Mountaineers. He's a defender. And let me just read you off some of his career accolades, okay? He was, ready. he was the 2016 second team All Big. Tw- he was on the second team All Big 12 list uh, in 2016. Also in 2016, he was an all honorable mention uh, All Big 12 team candidate. He was on the Butt Kiss Award watch list in 2016. And then in 2015, there was a week where he was the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. 
that week, K-State played West Virginia. I'm speaking, of course, about number 52, not Ben Lieber, but Charmichael Moore. Now, this guy was a high-motor linebacker who played parts of five seasons for K-State. Played in 49 career games with 16 consecutive starts to end his career. Um, received a medical redshirt uh, to play uh, four full seasons, and that was because he suffered from a brain tumor after the first game in 2014. Discovered after the first game in 2014, but underwent a procedure that removed that tumor and allowed him still to play football. Now, like I mentioned, he had a bunch of career accolades, but 2015 uh, is where he really exploded onto the scene and made Wildcats fans everywhere, and me in particular, say, who's this guy? This guy's pretty good. Um, in t- 2015, he played in 12 games and started the last three. He totaled 55 tackles, five and a half for loss, three sacks and a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. But in the final four games of that season, he averaged 10.8 tackles per game uh, and recorded a career best 17 tackles against West Virginia in 2015. That included 16 solo tackles, four tackles for a loss, and two sacks on route to the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week honors. His 16 solo stops in that game were tied for the most nationally during the 2015 season and were the most by any Wildcat defender since at least 1990. How about that? Unbelievable. That's a legendary performance. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, we, we do a lot of uh, Wildcat legends, and, and they're all absolutely legendary, and they all have uh, absolutely fantastic memories. But that 2015 game for Tremichael Moore was really stellar. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, I don't think it was made public or... Uh, at least I don't believe I became aware of his, uh, you know, his ailment with his with the uh, the brain tumor. Uh, I don't believe until after that game, maybe, is when at least I became aware of it. I if if memory serves me correctly, um, but no, and, and he has a really uh, incredible story, and I would I would encourage folks. He, uh, Shermichael, uh pinned himself a. Uh, an article in the Players Tribune talking about his 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 battle uh, with uh, with with his brain tumor, as well as some personal uh, tragedy. Of course, his uh, his father uh, also was uh, died suddenly of a heart attack. Uh, you know, during uh, that 2015 season, and gosh, I mean, you have to think about uh, all that was weighing on his mind. But I mean, in in terms of that performance against. Uh, Against West Virginia on that final game of the uh, of the 2015 season, K State was fighting for bowl eligibility. Uh, needed a win against the Mountaineers in order to get to a bowl game. Uh, they were able to get uh, to get a, a win against the the Mountaineers that day, and Shamichael Moore was obviously a huge part of that uh, as well. So when you have to think about all time uh, linebacker performances in K State history. Uh, I know Mark Simino had, I think, almost 20 tackles or 15 tackles or some out- outrageous number against Colorado back in 99, if I remember correctly. Josh Buell had some games with sure. very high tackle counts. Brandon Archer, I know, had some games with some very high tackle counts as well. Hmm. But none of them topped 
um, Shermichael Moore's performance against uh, West Virginia in 2015. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, an incredible performance from him. And, uh, yeah, I think this this uh, Wildcat legend is, is, is certainly well-deserved. Well, and one more small footnote in the career of Shermichael Moore. So in that 2015 season, a couple of weeks later, K-State plays Iowa State at home. And this is the Iowa State game that tops every other against all odds win by K-State against Iowa State during that uh, that long winning streak that K-State had that ended last year. Trebekah Moore was the player who recovered the fumble that led to the game-winning field goal for K-State mm. um, at the end of that Iowa State game where they had the game one dead to rights. They just... They could have, I believe they could have just kneeled it out and, and won the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tremichael Moore was the one who recovered that fumble and uh, led to K-State um, winning that game and really spelled the end for Paul Rhodes' tenure. Yeah, I believe at, he was uh, fired. State. I believe he was fired the next day, correct? Hard to blame the Iowa State leadership after that because that, I mean, K-State fans want to be critical of Kleiman's game End of game management against oh, Texas yeah. on Saturday. Yeah, that was that, on a complete other level. Absolutely. But uh, regardless, it was uh, for the Iowa State recovery, but most notably his performance against West Virginia in 2015 that has us remembering Shermichael Moore as this weekend's or this week's rather Wildcat legend. And uh, Dilo, I will. Uh, supplement uh, this Wildcat legend by, I, I will be sure to link uh, a couple different articles uh, regarding uh, Shemichael Moore uh, for our readers. Uh, Fascinating story. To uh, to check out. Uh, we'll, we'll be sure to uh, post those uh, on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast. And another feature, our final feature on the show, also has to do with K-State or the Short Side Options Twitter account at TSSO underscore podcast. Um, and this is a segment we call Ask the Icon, and we're considering rebranding it uh, to get kind of into the 21st century. We're going to go ahead and call this AVI. All right. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, yeah, I, I, we're always looking for ways to uh, kind of move ourselves in the 21st century. and Well, we're always brand conscious on this show, and of course K-State is too, uh, which we'll see this week. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so, uh, moving forward, we'll do uh, AVI. Um, and listeners can, in, in this segment, AVI, listeners can submit their uh, questions to the short side options, very own Chris the Icon Sork, by submitting them to us, as I mentioned before, on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast, or using the hashtag AskTheIcon, or using the hashtag AVI, um, or uh, just, um, you know, try just thinking of the questions really hard, and see if you can telepathically Ooh, I, like I don't. That. I haven't got any signals uh, from anybody yet, but you know, let me know if you send me a signal, I'll, and I'll let you know if I get it. But there's no way to know. I don't. I don't know if anybody's tried to telepathically, yeah, send us. I like uh, questions thus far, but this is almost like. 22nd or 23rd century type stuff we're talking about now. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're just bypassing. We're living in the future, we, we, baby. We get, we, first, we get to the 21st century. We move to present time with AVI. And now, I mean, shoot, we're, we're bypassing maybe another century or two. Just send us brainwaves, baby. Uh, I like it. But uh, regardless, uh, this week I'll just read the ones that were sent uh, 
in um, word form. Uh, our first question this week comes from listener David Sabin at Sabination. Uh, David asks, hey, Swark, which do you prefer? So this is a question about font. Okay. Okay. Script, block, or Comic Sans? Block. Strong. Bold and to the point. A strong typeface. That's right. All right. Uh, thank you for that question, David. Next question comes from listener Nick Ward at NLelandW on Twitter. Nick asks, how about our Bruce? Well, uh, K-State, uh, now at the time of recording this, 3-0 and uh, with wins uh, over North Dakota State, UNLV, and Monmouth. Uh, K-State's uh, game tonight against uh, Monmouth. Well, geez, if you watched that first half, it was far from a thing of beauty. A, uh, a thing of beauty, it certainly was not. But uh, K-State dominates the second half, outscoring um, Monmouth 53-25 to in route uh, to a 19-point win over the Hawks. In that one, and uh, of course, the big uh, the big game over the weekend against UNLV, K State really struggled uh, to uh, to find enough offense in that one, but made the plays down the stretch. A couple freshmen really uh, stepped up in big spots. Uh, Dejuan Gordon hitting a big three uh, in regulation uh, that that helped push the game towards overtime, and then uh, Montavious Murphy uh, get an and one. Uh, that put K-State ahead for a lead that they wouldn't relinquish. And uh, K-State was able to gut out a, a tough win on the road. And folks, as we're kind of uh, getting basketball back on the mind and back on the radar for you, you have to remember how tough it is to win on the road in college basketball. And I think uh, Saturday's game against UNLV, if you caught any of that, I know most folks are probably uh, preoccupied with a football game, but it serves as a great reminder of how tough it is to win on the road in college basketball. And K-State's still kind of trying to find themselves. Of course, there's lots of uh, lots of new faces on this roster. And we're still trying to kind of figure out some roles for some guys and, and how we're going to uh, to use them here going forward in, in the 2019-2020 uh, basketball season. But uh, all things considered, K-State's 3-0. All right, and speaking of roles... Uh, rolls are a popular Thanksgiving food item that some people like to have. They sure are. And Thanksgiving is the subject of our next question from listener Joey Kinney at jkinney1987. Joey asks, Thanksgiving, overrated, underrated, or properly rated as a holiday? Um, I would say properly rated. Yeah. Because I mean, where, where do you where does Thanksgiving rank among your holidays? I don't really care about Thanksgiving. Um, oh, so maybe it's I think it's underrated then. Uh, in your I pers- from I, your perspective, yeah, yeah. I think I'm not uh, really high on Thanksgiving. And man, I don't know. I I like hanging out with my family for sure, but I've just never been a big Thanksgiving food guy. Like, oh, it's, uh, it's you like never bird? you don't like the bird, not. It's it's never been a high priority. Give me a... I'd rather have a pizza, man. <laughs> I had a nice slice the other day from uh, the Bronx uh, down there uh, on, on, 39th on, Street? on 39th Street. Had a nice slice, and uh, I give it a 7.6 on 
on uh, on my review there. So you're too old to be doing pizza reviews, Icon. Oh well, I'll uh, I'll have to take you there sometime. All right, and, and maybe yeah, I'd like you that. Have to say, but uh, for me, Thanksgiving is my number two holiday. So I think uh, you know, I think behind you, behind Flag Day. No, behind Christmas. Oh, yeah. Flag Day is third. Yeah. Yeah, a close third, by the way. I'll, I'll have you know, but uh, yeah. So I think I think Thanksgiving's great. You got football, you got basketball on Feast Week. Oh, you gotta love it. Uh, but uh, no, I love I love Thanksgiving. Love the food. I'm a big I'm a big fan of the bird. I like turkey. Uh, also, too, in the past, the Sork family has gotten a little uh, non traditional on Christmas. I've done a prime rib. I know you're a big prime rib guy. Oh, absolutely, man. I love a nice slab of beef that's about as thick as my torso, man. And I uh, I never have a problem putting that sucker down. Well, uh, you mentioned Feast Week, and that uh, provides another nice segue into uh, Joey's second I'm question. Just, I'm just setting you up. You like are. A, I'm setting you up like a good Thanksgiving uh, like a good Thanksgiving plate. you got your mashed potatoes. You've got your stuffing, maybe some green bean casserole. What's not to love, man? Pass the gravy, man. <laughs> Give me that gravy. Uh, love that stuff, man. Joey asks, uh, what's your favorite Feast Week basketball tournament? What's number one for the icon? Well, Maui is kind of always looked at as the uh, the standard, and uh, that that's what I have to go with. I know uh, the Battle uh, for Atlantis is also another great one, and that, quite frankly, in the last couple of years have had some, has had some better matchups. Uh, in terms of just the overall feel, but uh, for me, something it, it always uh, you know is great about uh, going out to the to the island and uh, seeing those coaches out there. A nice Hawaiian get up, and you know I, I honestly that's a I like seeing it, but a part of me says, hey guys, just because we're on the island, have a little decorum. Let's let's get a I mean let's just not completely forget about a nice necktie here, man. Yeah. You know, or a nice blazer. But uh, especially, like, I, I remember Villanova was out there a few years back, and, of course, Jay Wright. I mean, this guy, he dresses to, to the, the nines, nines, night in, night out. And no three-piece suit for Jay. He's just wearing a nice little uh, a, a nice little polo, I believe it was you know, just a Hawaiian shirt, tight decor. And, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, winning Rome, so to speak. Hey, um, mahalo, man. <laughs> absolutely. That's... <laughs> That's the lid. You know, aloha means both hello and goodbye. Do you know that? Uh, no. Well, now you do. Uh, next question comes from listener Eric at E. Rennick. I didn't screw up his name. Hey, uh, we're, we're learning. Time. We're learning. Yeah. Hello, Icon. Who will play in the Super Bowl this year? Oh, so, uh, some professional football here. Yeah. So, who are the Chiefs going to play uh, out of the NFC? Um. I don't think the Chiefs are going to make the Super Bowl. I hate to be the uh, bear of bad news for you there, D. Louis. Um, but if I had to give my Super Bowl prediction as as it stands now, I'm going to go with the Patriots. Sorry. Sorry, big guy. But I'm going to go Patriots and Packers. All right. But still playing football. I, I The Chiefs are... They're still kind of trying to find themselves. I think, uh, you know, I know lots of uh, Chiefs fans uh, disappointed with their loss to the Titans last week. But, uh, you know, they're, they're getting some guys back. 
they haven't had maybe the season that they hope for to, to date, but there's still a lot to play for for the Chiefs, and uh, definitely I'm not counting them out. All right, and Eric asks a follow-up, will Malik Knowles be the next great catch receiver in the NFL? The only thing I you know, would... there hasn't been a laundry list of great... Well, I guess there's been a few. Yeah, we've had Jordy and, and Lockett's certainly having a budding career out there in Seattle, so... so I Quincy Morgan had a nice career in the NFL. Yeah, a bit of a journeyman. Yeah, but had a nice, had a real nice career in the NFL. Uh, like Darnell McDonald got some time with the Bucks. Um, Kevin Lockett, yeah, of course made it, made his rounds. Yeah. Yuman figures, Yuman figures, yeah, absolutely. But Byron Pringle, Byron Pringle for uh, your Kansas City Chiefs uh, is definitely in the rotation there uh, for for the Chiefs as they uh, as they make their way here in 2019. I. Would have to say yes in terms of what's on the roster currently. I think he has the potential to make it to the next level. The only thing is, what if you had to guess, what do you think Knowles' 40 time is? I would say probably between 4-5 and 4-6. I, I was going to say, my guess was about a 4-5-5 five, five guy. Yeah. That's good enough to play in the NFL. Yeah, good enough. He's not going to burn very many uh, NFL defensive backs, but it's certainly... Good enough. I think he'll get a shot in the league, no question. And you know, a guy that was not real highly recruited, uh, believe one of the lower rated uh, recruits in his in his class uh, in terms of when when he came to K State, but has has far exceeded his his star rating, uh, of course. Which take that for what you will, but definitely uh, looks to have the part of a guy that uh, will get a chance at the next level. Um. Yeah, and every week I have to remind myself that he's just a redshirt freshman. Yeah. I forget every single week that that guy has three years of eligibility left after this season. So uh, certainly a bright future ahead uh, from League Knowles, both at K-State and perhaps beyond. Uh, next question comes from listener Trim at Trim Goema. Trim says, Some questionable decision-making by Coach Cly... Uh, spelled defeats for the cat in Austin. Questionable decision-making is a staple on, quote-unquote, the island. How do Kleiman's choices last Saturday measure up to the choices we've seen by Ashley, David, etc.? Well, certainly better than I think uh, than Ashley and David have acquitted themselves on the island. How about, what, what say you? Yeah, I mean, no, Ashley, I, I assume he's talking about Rick's Ashley and not uh, Casey's Ashley. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, those two. Uh, rough, Bad news. Rough, speaking of the island. Speaking of Maui. Yeah. Man. Well, and, and Ashley has... She's found herself in a bad situation here, hasn't she? Uh, KB has given her the firm stiff arm and uh, things... Poetic up, justice. Yeah. So uh, Ashley is left scrambling uh, for for uh, for love on Temptation Island because I don't think she's going to be fine with Rick, our guy. We're we're big, we're we're Team Rick, right? I mean, yeah, we love Slick Rick, man. Absolutely, we can't get enough of the guy. Yeah. Um, now icon, I'd like to slow things down for a moment, please. <clears throat> Take a stroll over to Philosopher's Corner. <clears throat> There is no longer a way out of our present situation 
except by forging a road toward our objective violently and by force over a sea of blood and under a horizon blazing with fire. It's a quote by Nasser. This week, Philosopher's Corner asks, will the cats follow the advice of the great Egyptian leader and take their rightful place beside the great pharaohs and win out? Gosh, that's a really good question. So we're, we're both projecting a, a win this week against West Virginia. Yeah, both we're both predicting that K-State beats Western Virginia. Not to, this is what we in the industry call a tease, but you have to like K-State's chances against Texas Tech the following week in Lubbock. Now, your, your, your guy, Alan Bowman, is redshirting. He will not be back in action here in 2019. So it'll be Jet Duffy. Will be the uh, signal caller for uh, the Red Raiders. Is he related to Danny Duffy, the great Royals pitcher? I think their last name's spelled differently, so I don't oh, okay. think so. No, no. Uh, I don't also know if he's related to Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Uh, I have not quite... Uh, I, results on that are inconclusive at this point. <laughs> okay. However, you have to like K-State's chances that they will be favored going into that game. Maybe not a huge favorite, but they will be favored uh, these next two games. That leaves a showdown last game of the season in Manhattan, Farmageddon, against Iowa State. Iowa State hosts Texas this week, and uh, gosh, if you're an Iowa State fan, uh, you have to feel like this season has been a bit of a disappointment. Four losses by a combined 11 points. But a win in overtime against Northern Iowa. So... It's not like they've been on the uh, short end of the stick in all these coin flips because they averted disaster uh, back in August. True. They did. Triple overtime, mind you. Yeah. but In a game where that ball, they, they fumbled right on the goal line in overtime that would have been the game if had uh, Northern Iowa recovered that football. I think Iowa State is going to beat Texas this week. I think they'll beat KU the following week. So I think both teams will be going in to uh, that uh, that final game of the season on a nice little two-game win streak. I guess I kind of spoiled what I think next week about Texas Tech, but I, I can always change Subject to change. Subject to change. I will go ahead and say yes, K-State does win out. Wow. And right. finishes the season at 9-3, and three, which if you would have told me that uh, back in the middle of August, I would have looked at you a little bit wonky-eyed and said, I don't think that is probably going to be the case. You would have been giving me Tibisar eyes. But 9-3, and three, wins over Oklahoma, Mississippi State, which doesn't look nearly as impressive now as we may have thought. But uh, Hey, regardless. Regardless. It's irregardlessly. Uh, Nine and three would be a a uh, would be a season that you would not be able to describe any way other than a tremendous success uh, in year one of Chris Kleiman. Absolutely. Uh, well, I think they get there. I think they get there. Well, great, great question, great answer. Um, it's always a pleasure stopping by our favorite corner. Uh, and our last question this week comes from listener Steve Z sixty. Steve Z asks, Doctor Icon. What is the perfect level of spice on these food items? 
Use brand names and or flavors if necessary. So how do you like these things to taste? All right? Okay. Chips. Salty. I, I, I'm not a big spicy kind of guy. I just like the sea salt and vinegar. Oh, really? I thought you were more of a sour cream and uh, like cheddar and sour I cream I do guy. like those two, but in terms of uh, the top chip, it, it, it goes back and forth between cheddar, sour cream, um, those ruffles. You know you know about those guys. Oh, yeah, man. And uh, also just the kettle-cooked sea salt and vinegar. There's one brand of sea salt and vinegar chips that I have found uh, to be the, the ultimate. And that is like, they are called, they're purple bags, the Boulder Trading Company. Make the best salt and vinegar chips. Sh- uh, Potato chips that I've ever had. All right. Uh, buffalo wings. See, buffalo wings, I'm not crazy about spice either there. Uh, I, I have no problem with buffalo. But if you can find me a good teriyaki ah, okay. on, on my wings, love that. Are you a, a ranch guy or the uh, blue cheese? Um, Either, but I prefer ranch. All right. But I also, don't, with a good sauce, you don't need ranch. So I, I'll, I'll just go, uh, no ranch or, or blue cheese necessarily needed in that case. Okay. It pests the wet naps, man. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Bloody Marys. Do you like a spicy Bloody Mary? Not overly spicy. The one thing that, that I, I don't mind spice in a Bloody Mary, I just don't like so much pepper at the bottom of the Bloody Mary to where uh, for those last couple sips... You feel like you're, you know, just eating the pepper uh, bottle there. So, uh, but yeah, a little, little, uh, little Tabasco on it uh, in there. I, you know, another kind of thing that I like in there that's kind of a little bit wild? Just a dab or two of soy sauce, man. Oh, interesting. Get that thing nice and salty. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how, where, where I stand on the Bloody Marys. All right, and then finally, salsa. Salsa, um... Just hot enough to where uh, there's a bit of a kick, but nothing too much. I, I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to spice. Uh, salsa is probably the one thing I can handle the best in terms of spice, uh, but nothing too crazy. I just want to be able to enjoy it and not have to be uh, be sweating in there while I'm uh, while I'm enjoying some nice chips and salsa. All right, well that wraps up our uh, our listener questions this week for ABI Icon. I have a question for you. Let's hear it. Do you have anything else you'd like to say to our listeners tonight? No, I don't really. Um, one thing I would like to say is I would encourage folks to, to make it out uh, uh, to the bill on on Saturday. Uh, should be a really actually a very nice day for kind of a mid-November. It's been awful cold here uh, throughout uh, northeastern Kansas here these last uh, few weeks. But uh, should be a pretty nice game in terms of in terms of weather. I think they were calling for mid fifties, so should be a great day to go out there and enjoy uh, what should be a K State win for us on, on Saturday. And uh, as we you know get another one on the right side of the win column. Yeah. So cancel your dentist appointments because this game's at two thirty. I had to do the same. I had to do the same. Get out there and watch uh, a very good. Uh, well, just a very. Um, Encouraging K-State squad, go out there and and do what uh, should be a win against uh, West Virginia. And uh, we'll keep rolling on this season to get to win number seven. And you know what's going to be really nice, too? And this is, it's a small thing, but it's sometimes the small things that mean so much. 
Yeah, I, I found that to be true also. Is that when K-State plays West Virginia, this will be the first time this season that K-State plays at home as a ranked team. So you will hear over the loudspeaker, your 24th ranked team in the country, your Kansas State Wildcats. Oh, are you, you're kind of invoking uh, another icon. You're kind of invoking Ivan. I am. Yeah. And uh, so that'll be good. That's kind of a nice little thing. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah. So you don't get to hear. We haven't got to hear that much over these last few years. So not since last year against Charlotte, I don't believe. Yeah, because this is certainly the deepest into the season that K State's played a ranked home game in uh, quite a while. Yeah, probably back since uh, 2014. Yep. Yep. So, so uh, it's been a while. So uh, encourage uh, encourage folks to uh, to get out there and uh, support the Wildcats on Saturday. Uh, D. Lou, you have anything you'd like to add before we uh, before we wrap this thing up? Nope. Okay. Well. Folks, that'll do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, oh, I actually do. Oh, by all means. Those helmets we're busting out on Saturday are clean. We made it... Yeah, yeah, we made it an hour and 14, and we almost avoided all uniform talk. Oh, they are so clean, Icon. Clean. C L E. E E N. Clean. <laughs> Clean. Okay. Well, you know, they um, there's been lots of talk about that, so you're you're a fan? Oh, you better believe it. They choice. Choice. Prime choice. Prime grade A helmet. Okay. That's... Certified US beef. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the beef? Uh, you no, know, I don't care about the stupid helmets. You, you seem like you kind of do a little bit. Well, I will say they're clean. Sorry. I In another life, I paid attention to uniforms before it became so fetishized by people. This The obsession with... Wait a minute, are you fetishing? No, I'm not. It's okay. just not... It just okay. becomes a little much sometimes, the obsession. Um... But this phenomenon of people describing it, describing uniforms and helmets as clean, doesn't mean anything. It just means that. Would it, would you feel better maybe if they uh, categorize these helmets, especially since they are white, as icy? Yeah. <laughs> you think that's something that you might be able to get on I board? I do like that. Yeah. You like that a little bit better? Yeah. Ah, oh, these but these stupid uniform buzzwords just uh, crack me up. Yeah. Well. We almost made it through without uh, any uniform talk. We came back. We boomeranged it back, though, to make clear that we don't, that we're above all that nonsense. Yeah. Well, you know, folks have been excited about it. My whole thing is I don't really care what they wear. I just think people should stop talking about it. Just shut up. Just shut up about it. Just stop talking about the uniforms. Yeah. Go If you want to talk about the uniforms, go over to, why don't you go over to Fifth Avenue? Yeah. I don't, or, you know, instead of uh, picking up another hard-hitting article from, our you know our friends at KSO or or GoPowerCat.com or of course the folks at the Manhattan Mercury or our good friend uh, over at uh, SportsTreatise.com. Go ahead. 
<laughs> no, you were you're building something there. I didn't want to stop. Oh, the invoice. But but if you want to if you want to uh, if you want to get into that, just pick up a nice GQ or a Vogue. Yeah. And uh, go. Why don't you take on a flight across the pond, mate, over to Paris, and you know go to Fashion Week over, oh. at, over in Milan. Sacre bleu, sacre bleu. Uh, anyway, folks, that'll do it here for this uh, edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, thank you again for listening. Uh, let us know what your thoughts are uh, on K-State against uh, West Virginia this week. Uh, you can reach us at TSSO underscore podcast or send, send some waves dealers way. Oh, yeah. Uh, he'll if, uh, he'll uh, be able to decipher those. If you think of a good question, go ahead and tweet at us that you've uh, telepathically attempted to send us a message and I'll see if I can discern anything and I'll go ahead and ask it to the icon next week if I pick up any signals. All right. Well, folks, that'll do it here for this short side option uh, podcast episode. Uh, thank you for listening and go cats. <laughs>